Let us say praise the Lord. Amen. Let us um, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for how awesome you are. Thank you for this church. Thank you for this leadership. Lord, we just pray, God, that this moment here, uh, that you would be glorified, that you would be edified. And Lord, that we would be encouraged in your word. Lord, we are um, just grateful for who you are. And pray, God, that you do something special this morning. You know what all of us need. And God, it's not me that can do anything, but it's you that does it all. So, Lord, we thank you and we praise you and we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So I am excited to be here. Um, as Pastor Kevin mentioned, um, I met him some months back. And um, then he brought some folk with him to our church in September. And I must say that I have been treated like royalty since I've been here. Miss um, um, Tanya, Mr. Jeff, the um, Bramlett family have, have treated me really well. And so I'm grateful. And um, I also want to say I'm thankful for you all as a church. This is my first time meeting most of you. Um, but Poetry Baptist Church and Project Truth Community Church are now in partnership. And um, you all have been, I know you all have been praying for us. We are grateful. We've been praying for you all as well. And so um, I'm just extremely grateful to be here. And um, so let me do this. Let's go to Genesis chapter 11. Begin at verse number one. And while you're going there, um, my grandfather used to tell me, and when I would hear him get up to preach, he would uh, tell the congregation that he brought a pocket full of amens with him, but he would also like to use some of theirs. And so I want to say the same thing. I have some amens with me, but if you give me some of yours, I won't have to use all of mine. Amen. <laughs> amen. Amen. There we go. And out of reverence for God's word, if you can stand for the reading of scripture. I will be reading out of the CSB translation. The word says the whole earth had the same language and vocabulary. As people migrated from the east, they found a valley in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let us make oven fired bricks. They used brick for stone and asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the sky. Let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered throughout the earth. Then the Lord came down to look over the city and the tower that the humans were building. The Lord said, if they have begun to do this as one people, all having the same language, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down there and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So from there, the Lord scattered them throughout the earth and they stopped building the city. Therefore, it is called Babylon. For there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth, and from there the Lord scattered them throughout the earth. Thank you. You may be seated. I want to speak this, mo this morning from this topic or this subject, God's space and God's people. So one of the interesting stories in the early chapters of Genesis is this story of the Tower of Babel. Lots of times we have difficulty understanding what's going on, 
there. And a lot of that is because we're not aware of certain elements in the ancient world. As always, when we're reading the Bible, we must remember that the Bible was not written to us, but it was written for us. So when we want to understand a passage, we sometimes have to go into the ancient world to try and understand their thinking about things. Now, with the Tower of Babel account, there is one thing that is particularly difficult for us to understand, and that is why is it that they are building this tower anyway? A lot of times people think they are building a tower for people to go up. Whether that's to meet with God, to challenge God, or uh, overthrow God is unclear, but many believe they're building that tower to go up. But I think the text is pointing us in a different direction, literally a different direction. In the southern Mesopotamian setting that we have in Genesis chapter 11, the land of Shinar and the kind of context it gives us, that being a city featuring this remarkable tower, we come to understand that a tower in the ancient world was called a ziggurat. Now, a ziggurat is a very well-known piece of architecture. It was built next to the temple, and it was a part of sacred space. People really wouldn't spend a lot of time in sacred space. They wouldn't be able to go near it. They wouldn't want to go near it. It was a dangerous place. That tower was not made for people at all. As a matter of fact, the tower was made for God to come down. Of course, we can see that when we get to the middle of the story, of Babel because that's exactly what God does. He comes down. This ziggurat is made for God to come down and go into the temple next door and there receive worship. Now that helps us understand a little bit about what the builders of the tower are doing because that means the builders are trying to create sacred space, a space where God is to be worshiped. You might say, well, what's wrong with that? That seems like a perfectly legitimate reason. But my stepfather would caution us to pump our brakes here because here's the problem. Sacred space is supposed to be a place where God's name is exalted. In Deuteronomy, we read repeatedly about the fact that God has chosen a place for his name to be put, which is eventually the temple in Jerusalem. It's a place where God's name is exalted. But in Genesis 11, we read that they had some other ulterior motive, and that is that the people want to exalt their own name. They want to make their own name great. In the story of Babel, we encounter a couple of interesting Hebrew words. First, in Genesis eleven four, when it says they were building a tower so they could make a name for themselves, the original Hebrew says they were building a tower so that they could make a shim for themselves. Shim is a Hebrew word for name, and unlike in our culture, a person's name wasn't just a means of identification. A person's name referred to their reputation. It was what they stood for. So this building up of the tower was a form of idol worship. It was to stand as a testament to the people's supreme fleshly confidence in their feats of technology. They're not concerned with God's name. They're concerned with their own name. It's similar to how you and I sometimes are more protective of our own name rather than God's name. But that's a conversation for another day. Back to our story. What's going on here? In the ancient world, they believed that the gods had made people to be slave, to be a slave labor. Stay with me here. In the ancient world, they believed that the gods had needs. They needed food. They needed drink. They needed housing. They needed clothing. These needs were to be met by people and 
through their rituals and the sacred spaces that they were involved in. And so in that day, the idea was the people for the people to meet the needs of the gods. In that same time, since the game, since the gods had these needs, they would be grateful that their needs were being met. And as a result, they would meet the needs of the people. So in exchange, the gods will protect the people and provide for the people. And in that way, we have this codependency between the gods and the people. Are y'all tracking with me? We oftentimes have this same concept that we are in some type of codependent relationship in partnership with God as if God needs us as much as we need him. God is more than capable of doing everything he wants done without us. But he chose to use us to accomplish his will. What an honor that is. We can do nothing without God, but he can do everything without us. He exists outside of us but we exist because of him. So when the people talk about building a tower in a city to make a name for themselves, they're trying to establish sacred space, but not because they want to exalt God's name, but because they think that it will be a means to bring about an end, an end that will bring about their own prosperity and protection. Doesn't that sound familiar? Doesn't this sound like folk today? And even the folk we see in the mirror every day. We are so consumed by the pursuit of success that we've forgotten that our savior became a failure for us so that we could become a success story in him. They are doing it for themselves and not for God. Now that fits into the ancient world context, but this also fits into the biblical context. Remember in Genesis chapter three, when people were driven out of the garden and they lost access to God, they lost sacred space. And here's what we find in Genesis 11. We find that the people are trying to regain the sacred space that they lost. They're trying to regain access to God. And in that way, they are doing something that sounds like a good deed, but they're doing it for their own advantage and for their own sake. In other words, it's their initiative, but with the wrong motive. And therefore, God rejects their initiative. He comes down as a tower was intended to allow. But instead, he sees what's going on. And he says nothing is going to prohibit them to be prohibited. Now, at this point, they're going to go full throttle ahead into the idea of their own needs met, being met. I mean, the, the needs of the gods. And that is all wrong. And therefore, God does not accept that initiative. He rejects that initiative. He rejects their plan. Incidentally, the fear of the fear that people had of being scattered is understandable. And God's rejection of the people, he scattered them. History has shown that when any group of people has been dispersed from their homeland within two or three generations, that group of people has literally become extinct. So the building of that tower was a fleshly attempt to maintain their legacy and preserve their posterity for generations apart from God. Now, in the original Hebrew, the reason given as to why God was displeased is because they because the people were echad. Echad is the Hebrew word for one, and it is the same word used in the verse, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So while one would normally consider oneness to be a positive quality, in this case, God was against it. Why would God be against oneness? The answer is very simple. It was not God approved oneness. 
And instead, interestingly enough, in the next chapter, Genesis 12, God begins his own initiative and his own initiative is to establish sacred space in and among and through his chosen people. And so he uses the covenant as a means to begin revealing himself to Abraham and his family, eventually to adopt Israel as his covenant people and to set up his presence in their midst. So here, sacred space is being reestablished. At the end of the book of Exodus chapter 40, they finish the tabernacle and God comes and dwells among them for the first time since the Garden of Eden. And sacred space is reestablished among the Israelites and that transitions to the temple at the time of Solomon and God makes his dwelling with people and that's what God always wanted. There has been this gap of God's presence with the people between the Garden of Eden and when they finished building the tabernacle in Exodus 40. This is showing us that God has always intended to share his space with his people. There is a scientific principle woven into the fabric of our universe called the principle of opposites. And in simple terms, it means that basically everything in our universe has to have its perfect opposite. If there's an up, there has to be a down. If there's male, there has to be female. If there's right, there has to be left. If there's good, there has to be bad. You catch my drift. So it, so here's an interesting question about the Tower of Babel. If everything in our universe has its perfect opposite, what would be the perfect opposite to what occurred at the Tower of Babel? I'm glad you asked. The answer would be the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, verse 1 and 4, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of, the, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Do you see the contrast of the Tower of Babel here? Remember in the upper room when Jesus talked to his disciples and says, I am going away, but don't worry. I'm going to come back and take you to myself so that where I am, you will be also because that's what God always wanted. So we find that God's presence was not only in the tabernacle and in the temple. God's presence was represented in Jesus in the incarnation. God's presence became available to believers at Pentecost when the spirit descended and they became temples or they became sacred space. Then the people housed the presence of God. God's plan wasn't just about him getting people into his presence. It was more about get him getting his presence into people. I want us to look at the contrast between the Tower of Babel and the day of Pentecost. The first contrast is the Tower of Babel resulted in disunity in Genesis 11.4. But Pentecost resulted in unity. The, the second contrast is language is used to promote a human agenda. Let's make a name for ourselves. Genesis 11.4. At Pentecost, language is used as a sign to announce the mighty works of God. Third, the third contrast is at the Tower of Babel, God scattered the people in the judgment to the four corners of the earth. Genesis eleven eight. 8. 
But at Pentecost, people were scattered to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ and to bring into the covenant the harvest of souls from every corner of the earth. Acts 1.8. The fourth contrast is the Tower of Babel produced confusion of tongues. Genesis 11.9. Pentecost produces the reversal of Babel. At Pentecost, tongues are understood. In Acts 2.5 and 5-10. through 10. At the Tower of Babel, the human spirit was the driving force behind the construction of the tower. However, on the day of Pentecost, it was the Holy Spirit that was the driving force. And today, when we think about the Tower of Babel, we shouldn't stop there. We should follow that up with the good news of Pentecost, which reminds us of the reality that we all have the unifying spirit that was poured out upon the first century church in Acts 2, 1 through 4. It's a reminder that we are co-heirs with Christ to suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him, that the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. First Corinthians 12, seven, that we are all baptized by one spirit into one body. First Corinthians 12, 13, and that the spirit which raised Jesus from the dead lives inside believers in Romans eight, nine through 11. This gift of the Holy Spirit that was promised and given to all believers on the first Pentecost is promised for you and your children and for all who are far off from the from from the Lord our God and who he will call Acts 2:39 God's presence is finally going to come to his desired conclusion a new creation when there is no temple and God himself is in our midst in that sense the tower of babel gives us a key juncture of the whole question of God's presence and how it's going to be unfolded across his plan, across history. The Tower of Babel represents that first initiative that people took and how wrong their motives were and how selfish they were, but that leads us into how God does it himself, and that God gives us a picture of the theology of across the canon of Scripture, a very powerful picture of what God has always wanted. God's space was always intended to be occupied by his people. Better yet, God's people was always intended to be God's space. And Jesus makes all of this possible. It all comes together through Christ. I'm always fascinated when I think about the fact that Jesus is the God man. He's fully God and he's fully man. I think about how animal sacrifices wouldn't just wouldn't suffice. We couldn't really connect with God the way that God wanted us to connect with him due to animal sacrifice because animal sacrifice did not have they didn't have equality with man. So they couldn't do the job. And man couldn't do the job because man canceled himself out. However, there is one that could do the job. And that's Jesus Christ, the God-man, who identifies with us in our humanity while maintaining his divine nature. Because he never sinned. And he loved us so much. Do you ever think about the fact that Jesus never did anything wrong but he suffered greatly. 
for you and I. How often do we complain about our suffering when our suffering does not compare in any way to what Jesus went through, yet he was innocent? I'm so grateful that although I'm a sinner and although as mankind we sin greatly against God and we're selfish, we have our own agenda, we don't care about others, we do all of these things that will keep God's presence away from us. But God says, no, I love you enough that I want to be with you. Which is the reason why he sends Jesus. So he can be reconciled back to him. And he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Though I'm with you always, even to the end of the earth. What a promise. What joy. We don't deserve it. But we possess it. We've done nothing to earn it, but we have it. God brought his space and his people together through the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to inaugurate his church. It is a tremendous privilege and an honor to be a part of the church. It's not just a country club. It's not just something to do. It's not just a place to go for, for people that have great moral values. We just come to church because this is the right thing to do. Too often the church has become just a place to gather for good people. And once we walk out of the, the doors of the church, we go back to our lives and we do things like we normally do. We have our set routines. We're not as concerned with those who are lost like we should be. We're more concerned with bringing people to us as opposed to going to them. We forget that the church is missional, not attractional. There's nothing wrong with bringing people in. But our mandate is to go out and to reach the lost. We have the spirit of God. We have the sacred space now so that we can go out and be empowered by the spirit of God to reach those who are lost. Instead of, instead of being attractional as a universal church, a lot of churches are trying to be so attractional in bringing people to our churches with our great events. There should be something attractive about us, which is the spirit of God that should draw people because my light is shining bright. So when my light shines, people should want to come. See, what, what, is, what is it about you? There's something different about you. When I'm around you, I, 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 Pastor Kevin, when I'm around you, there's, there's, this, there's this hope that I have. I, I just feel better when I'm in your presence. There's something about you that's different. That's how an unbeliever should be around us. There should be something different about us that makes them curious. But we have to walk in the light. We can't be like the world if we want to win them. See, oftentimes we have to be, you all have probably heard it before, 
We got to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Amen, right? Here's the thing, though. Do we ever think about what happened to the hands and feet of Jesus? We got to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And we look at that as I need to go out and do what Jesus wants me to do. Absolutely, we do. But what happened to the hands and feet of Jesus? Do we ever ever think about the consequence of being the hands and feet of Jesus? It's not going to be fun. There's suffering involved. There's pain involved. There's persecution involved. But that's who we are called to be. And there's great joy in being a part of the church. But there's a great responsibility that we have as the church. But we are empowered by the Spirit of God. We can say confidently for those who have placed our faith in Christ that the Holy Spirit is with me at all times and he will never leave me. I may grieve him at times, but he will never leave me. And that's all because of Jesus. That's it. It's all because of Jesus. One thing I love about your pastor is just in my time of talk with him, he's always talking about Jesus. Everything's about Jesus. And we are one and the same. Because no one else matters. If Jesus is not the center of it all, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters unless Jesus is the center of of it all. So I'm glad to be, and I want you all to be encouraged that we are and we inhabit the presence and the sacred space of God because of what he decided. Not because of what we decided. Because what we decided is what got us in trouble in the first place but because of what he decided. Now, we've been restored. We've been reconciled. That is a wonderful truth that excites me. Because I know without Christ, I am nothing. Absolutely, and that's not a figure, that's not a figure of speech. I know that I am nothing without him. I don't know if there's any of you in here that have been struggling with something and just want prayer. If, if any of you in any way, in anything, just need prayer, if it's all right with Pastor Kevin, I just want to ask some of you just to come to the front. I just want to pray. I just want to pray for us. If that's you, in anything, any struggle, any difficulty, Whatever it may be. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep.
Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Father, thank you for those who have come. Lord, I don't know what the need is, but I don't have to know because you do know. But God, I'm asking you, Lord, to meet them where they are. Not just in their position right now and kneeling down, but meet them where they are as the posture of their heart is kneeling before you. There's a need that only you can meet. There's a void that only you can fill. It may be healing, physical healing. It could be emotional healing. It could be some type of bad habit or addiction that someone could be dealing with. But what we do know is that there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And so, Lord, I'm praying and I'm asking you in this moment to meet us here. To strip away all of the layers of stuff to cover up things. Allow us to be vulnerable before you. Not concerned with what other people are thinking, but we just want to be vulnerable for you, in front of you. Because God, we, we, we have a need. Well, ultimately, Lord, we want to be more like you, Lord Jesus. So Lord, I'm asking you, Lord, and not only in these who have come, but in all of us, Lord, I'm asking you, Lord, to if there's to strip away the things that's hindering us from being more like you. If it's habits, if it's attitudes, if it's thoughts, behaviors, whatever it is, Lord, we're asking you to remove those things, God, so that we can recognize that we are now sacred space because of you, because of Christ, because of your Holy Spirit. There might be struggles with families here, Lord. There may be some marital struggles, some struggles with children, some struggles at jobs, some struggles in friendships. But Lord, there's always that inner conflict of us struggling within ourselves. But God, what we know is that your word says in 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Lord, allow us to, to, to press into and lean on your promise. Some of us may feel alone. We may be around a lot of people, but we feel all alone. But Lord, you said you would never leave us nor forsake us. You said, Lord, I'm with you always to the end of the earth. You, you said these things, Lord. And we know that your word says heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will never pass away. So, God, we can stand and rely on your promise. So, God, I'm asking you now again.
to touch each person as only you can meet each need whatever that need is we know that we can find it in you in you alone no substitutes God help us to not go after any substitutes Lord we love you Lord we thank you and Lord we even ask you we ask you to forgive us of our sins forgive us and help us to know help us to know that you made it possible through your son Jesus for us to now be your space housing your presence by your spirit allow that to empower us allow that allow that to encourage us as we move forward in Jesus name we ask these things by faith because your word says faith is a substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen so we receive your promise we receive your comfort your peace your joy your love everything that we need we receive it now by faith in the wonderful powerful and matchless name of Jesus we pray amen amen <laughs>